that we do rate ourselves. We rate ourselves, either compared to others around us, compared to what we were told we were supposed to be, the fantasy ideals we had growing up. We all rate ourselves. We all, and it contributes to who we think we are, how we feel about ourselves. And I want to point out today that that may not be the best way to live your life. And so uh, I want to talk about a couple things. Uh, so uh, as we get started, uh, this is called uh, Lego Series. And um, uh, my grandson saw this last night and he went, wow, you could build a whole house with that. Uh, so uh, Lego, today we're talking about Lego, my ego. I didn't misspell it. It's ego. Uh, and so here's a part of the deal I want to talk about today, is that we get our sense of self from all kinds of places. And I want to talk about why it's important that we look and see where we get it from. So I want to talk about millennials today for a minute. So here's an interesting conversation. I, I, I saw this headline, and I began to read some articles, do a little research, and the, the, the headline was, um, Narcissism in the Age of the Selfie. And there were some and so just hanging with me, millennials, uh, there is some articles that suggest that the millennials are the most narcissistic generation yet. My problem with the articles are written by boomers <laughs> who were labeled back in the 70s, the me generation. And I'm pretty sure whatever the millennials got, we gave it to them. And so I'm not sure I'm buying into that thing. But there are some unique things happening in the world in which, uh, since the advent of social media, there are, I believe, for millennials and maybe for us as an entire society, some unique challenges that we need to be aware of. Uh, there's all challenges all throughout history. Whenever people try to live life successfully and, and, and kind of navigate uh, life, there are unique challenges, and it behooves us to be aware of what those challenges might be. And so I began to do some research, and I, and I began to look for maybe um, somebody who had some insight. And I found this article by a young lady. Uh, it looks like a millennial. And um, she writes, and if you will bear with me for three paragraphs plus one sentence. Can you hang in there for that? It kind of points out the issue that I think we need to kind of talk about. Um, here it is. Uh, she starts off with, uh, youth everywhere experiencing record rates of depression and anxiety, uh, surrounded by a cultural climate of both isolation and overexposure, which is kind of a weird thing. But if you think about social media, right? Think about what happens there. Um, the, uh, the, the moniker snowflake generation seems an apt phrase then to describe our mass neurosis, um, uh, brittle Instagram veneers, obsessive combing over the news feeds of friends who've always seen, who always seem wealthier, prettier, or happier than we are. It's tempting to dismiss millennials' distorted worldviews as naive, navel-gazing, or just selfishness. But why do grown-up social critics tend to blame an entire generational crisis on kids' self-obsession, especially when millennials are hardly kids anymore? Many adults of all ages should question their impulse to write off as the product of personality flaws was clearly a widespread social epidemic. I tend to agree. The issue isn't personal narcissism and selfie culture, but rather a culture of mass consumption and material acquisition. It's obvious how modern Western popular culture promotes these values, fueling a consumer cult culture built on speed, excess, and distraction. Whole industries today are built around reproducing socially approved images of perfection, from cosmetic surgery to college test prep. Our medi mediated lives are populated with images of what we aren't, listen to these three things, what we aren't, 
what we aspire to be and what is impossible to achieve. Think of a 5'10", 98-pound model, right? 5'10", I could achieve. It says, no wonder young minds are washed in emptiness and insatiable hunger for self-fulfillment. Let me just go on with that. one more paragraph and one line. Uh, talks about a study uh, limited to college students, but it says this. Federal data shows that across the U.S., about a third of teens and a quarter of younger, young adults experience some form of anxiety disorder. About three million teenagers have recently suffered a major episode of depression. Teen suicide rates have swelled since 2007, particularly among girls. The prevalence of these problems has intensified in recent years as social pressures and stress levels have soared. And I'll skip down to this last line. So it's sadly reasonable for a young person's sense of self-worth to become distilled into the never-ending pursuit of the perfect look, resume, or dating profile. This would be a unique set of challenges that are being navigated by young people. But I want to suggest that she's right, that there is a societal problem, an epidemic, if you will, and it derives uh, from, I think, buying into a misconception or a lie about life. And I'll point it out in a moment. I was listening this week or watching a podcast my son sent me about narcissism. You were slower to laugh, and I appreciate that than the other services. It was really interesting. It was just a secular podcast, and it was an author of a book, a psychologist, professor, and um, uh, not a, uh, a religious person at all uh, by her uh, own um, admission. And, and it was interesting because there was about narcissism. And we, we use narcissists to refer to people that we think are self-absorbed and so on. And, and, and so she was talking about real narcissism, which only about 1% of, of the actual population is truly narcissistic. Um, and uh, according to some other research I did. But she said some things about narcissism I thought was really interesting, and, and it caught my attention. Uh, one of them uh, was that uh, narcissists uh, derive, and this is kind of the critical issue here, derive the entirety of their self-esteem from external sources. In other words, they don't carry within them a sense of self. It is completely derived from affirmation from other people. He said that narcissists should never get married, should definitely never have children, and can't change. She got my attention now. And so I uh, began to listen more closely. And, and she goes on to say, and by the way, the interviewer said, oh, I'm a narcissist. And she was like, okay, <laughs> you're not going to like what I'm going to say. And and she went on to say that it comes from, narcissists are created, not born. It comes from a family who honors a child who, uh, when they achieve, or they look pretty, or, or they're a great athlete, or whenever they do good, performance-based, or they are, they, that child is the center of attention. They're often spoiled in that arena. But when they fail, or when they're needy, or when something bad happens, mom and dad are nowhere to be found. And so they come to believe about themselves that their only self-worth can be derived from doing good and having other people tell them they do good or they achieve or they, whatever it is. And I began to think about this. And so now this particular psychologist said there's either a narcissist or non-narcissist. You can't be a little narcissistic, which I don't know. But there is a, another thing uh, that I found in another research called subclinical narcissism. 
And I want to suggest to you that that is what we as a society suffer from. Subclinical narcissism. We all, by the way, one of the side things about a narcissist, they have, they have no ability to empathize because every ounce of their energy is spent trying to get affirmation back. And so even if they tell you that, oh, I hope you have a better day, or I'm sorry, if it, it's just for you to say, oh, that's nice of you to say. And I think we live in a society which is, uh, it seems, it feels like to me, is less and less caring and more and more needy in terms of their affirmation. The reason I titled today's talk is let go of my ego is because I want to suggest to you that, by the way, ego is just our sense of self-worth. It, we say, oh, he's got a big ego. Well, that's not really a proper use of the word, although we use it all the time. Ego is just our sense of self-worth. And we either derive it externally or internally. And when we derive it externally, we actually are hoping for something that's impossible. You can never get enough external affirmations to fill up a, a lack of who you, a sense of who you are. And so here's my kind of my thesis for today uh, to millennials and to all of us. Quit letting the world around you tell you who you are. Quit letting and quit expecting them to tell you who you are and affirming. And don't expect them to affirm you enough for you to feel good about yourself. It doesn't matter how many likes you've got. It doesn't matter how many followers you've got. It doesn't matter what the neighbors say about your parenting skills. Your understanding of yourself has to come from somewhere else. Some place a lot less fickle than society and culture around you. All right? So what, what, So I've been thinking about this, because there are serious implications. It's not just, I feel good about myself, or I feel bad about myself. Feeling bad about yourself can lead to some pretty devastating things. Self-destructive kinds of things, right? That's what she talked about in the article. The reality is it's not a simple thing. It impacts you, it impacts the people around you. This is a critical issue for us. So I began, I went back to my library and I found a book. I began to research and do some stuff online. I look at my library and stack of books. And one of the books I found was written in the 80s, mid 80s. So it's, it's been around a while. And it was written by uh, two guys that are still around, Dr. Larry Crabb and uh, Dan Allender, Dr. Dan Allender. And in this book, they suggest long before social media, right? Long before, you notice that the rise in depression, I don't know if I read that part or not, but the rise in depression occurred after 2007, right? Think about it, right? Long before social media, they began to write about the critical issue in humankind, in our relationships, in our lives, in our self-understanding, and they suggested something. They suggested that we all struggle with the same issue, all of us. And it comes from Genesis chapter 3. And we're not going to read all of that. I want to read a little bit, and then we'll put a, the, a thing on the screen. In Genesis chapter 3, it says this. This is after Adam and Eve ate the fruit. You know that they were forbidden. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I, and here's what Adam says. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Here is the problem for Adam. Here is the problem for all humankind. We are afraid. Crabbe and Allender suggest that at the core of who we are is fear. We're afraid. And we're afraid that we're going to be... By the way, we, we all are afraid that people are really going to know what's going on with us. We're afraid that we're going to be discovered, that we're going to be found out. That we're not really as good a mom as we're trying to act like we are. They're not really as good on the job and as successful as we're trying to project that we are. That we really don't have it together as much as a Christian as we want people to think we do. 
We're afraid. By the way, if you doubt that, people take advantage of this all the time. We are driven greatly by our fears. And you're saying, no, I'm driven out of the goodness of my heart. Let's talk later. You're just afraid people won't think you're good. What do you think social media is about, right? So here's an interesting thing that happened. Just to prove this point, here's something that happened to me recently. Connie gets in the car. We're going somewhere. She goes, by the way, a letter came for you today. I just threw it away. It's, well, thanks. She says, no, it was, it was one of those scams. It said, and, and I will, it's a whole page, but I will paraphrase it, phrase it down to one sentence. Uh, it said, it said um, I know what you did, and I'm going to expose you if you don't send me money. And she said, that's what it said, so I just threw it away. And I said, well, thank you. You know, thank you. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I was glad that she knew I had nothing to hide, but I had to stop for a moment to make sure. What could they be? No, I got, no, no, I got nothing. Okay, good. I'm good, good. But why does that scam work? They wouldn't do it if they didn't get some money from some people at some time, right? Why? Because we all know on some level there is something we're trying to hide. And we're trying to project this image. We're trying to show people we're this or that or the other thing because on some level, we know there's something there. If you look closely at what Adam did, he was afraid, so he hid. By the way, how did he hide? A fig leaf. Now, we actually have a fig tree on campus. I don't know if you know that or not. Little fun thing with the kids. You might want to go find it. There's also two apple trees. The guys told me I've only found one of them. Anyway, uh, now this fig leaf, I, I, I got it this morning. It is scratchy. <laughs> Think of the pictures, right? We've seen the pictures. Think about it. It is scratchy. <laughs> it is uncomfortable. To wear these sewn together you have to really want to cover something up. You know what I'm saying? And not only that, not only is it uncomfortable, a lot of work to put a number of these together, you have to make a new one every day because this is the one from last night. You talk about your clothes shrinking. I think this is, I think there's two hilarious pictures in this Genesis 3 account. One is they're hiding from God behind a tree. I don't see you. It's like a little kid. By the way, God didn't ask them where they were because he didn't know. He was asking them where they were because they didn't know. They were confused. They thought they could hide behind a fig leaf in a tree. Here is the problem. Adam tried to hide from God because he had something to hide. He was guilty. And we have been hiding behind fig leaves ever since. We hide behind fig leaves. Here's what's weird. We come to this place, and we come to this, this place where we're going to worship the true God, and we're going to worship in, in, in spirit and in truth. We're going to worship, but we don't come in truth. We come dressed in fig leaves. I'm not talking about our actual clothes. I'm talking about whatever fig leaves we happen to use to protect us. It might be the fig leaf of a four-wheeled car. It might be a, a gold-plated fig leaf that we wear. It might, be any, it might be our achievements. It might be our image on social media. We're just a bunch of people covered in fig leaves, afraid that somebody will expose who we really are. And that's the truth. And as long as we keep believing that if I can just get the right fig leaves, my life is going to work, we're going to keep failing. You might accumulate some really nice fig leaves, but you still got to go to sleep at night with just you and your thoughts. And the reality is that I'm guilty, and I hope they don't find me out. There's this great passage. What is the solution to fear? The fear that I will be found out. 
The fear that I won't measure up to what my parents told me I should be. The fear that I won't measure up to the people on, on the magazines. The fear I won't measure up to what my friends are and what they do. The fear of whatever it is. There is this great thing because we get this choice. We can live according to the culture around us. The fashionable sins of the day, the Bible calls it, which is all about image in our culture. I can try to live up to some image hoping that that is the God I'm looking for. It's called idolatry because it's not what you're looking for. We can live a life of fear and lies, or we can live a life of truth and love. Here's what it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love. Right off the bat, we discover love and fear can't exist in the same space. If you're living a life full of fear, you're not living a life of love. And what Christ offers us is a life of love. And it goes on in that passage. But perfect love, not just any old kind of love, not husband-wife kind of love, as great as that could be, not parent-child love, as great as that could be, but perfect love, agape love, love from God drives out, or in the King James, casts out fear. I love King James. It was written like 1500s, whatever. I could just see a picture of a castle and something being thrown over the top, landing in the moat, and that's fear. <laughs> perfect love casts out fear, throws it over the side. We don't need to live in fear, not fear of what people think of us, not fear of the future, not fear of our past. We can live in God's love. It goes on and says this. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Why was Adam hiding? Because he knew there was punishment coming because he deserved it. And yet we need to understand because we know both God and his character and we have the New Testament and what Christ did is that God is redemptive toward us. Yes, there may be consequences for our stupidity, but in the end, God wants to redeem us. He is redemptive. We do not need to fear God. We need to accept his love, ask for his forgiveness, and, and, allow, and walk in love and allow the Spirit to make that real in our hearts. Let's go on to the last part of that, that phrase uh, in verse 18. Uh, it drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment, uh, but we don't live under punishment. We live under grace. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. In other words, you can't live in fear and love at the same time. So let's just take a moment right now. Let's just, let's just kind of try to be honest. With so here's the problem. We can't even be honest. We're so inculcated with this is how you live that we can't even really dig down and find uh, without the help of the Holy Spirit oftentimes that we do live in fear. We live in some kind of fear of being found out or, or fear of the future. Fear whatever. But what if we actually would just change our worldview based on what Christ has done for us? Let me um, kind of point out a, an interesting thing. It's a great quote that I read this week. People who live a life of fear are easily manipulated. People, that's why that scam works. They're afraid they're going to be found out. By the way, why do you think Eve ate the fruit? Fear of missing out. What was the lie? The lie was, if you eat this fruit, you're going to know what God knows. And the fear of missing out on knowing what God knows. You'll be the same as God. You'll know. The fear of missing out was why she ate the fruit. People who live in fear are easily manipulated. That's why it matters so much to you what your friends comment about your posts or how many people like it. Because you're living in fear. We all do it. The reality is if we can be delivered from a life of fear and begin to live a life of love. Here's the problem with the fig leaf thing. We all want confidence. We want confidence to live our life. We want self-esteem. We want self-respect. We need that. And yet we settle for clothing. <laughs> when in reality, in this passage, we are offered confidence. Matter of fact, let's, let's look at that, that passage again. And it's in 1 John. Uh, uh, 
Go back to uh, go back to the last section there. I think it's in verse uh, maybe verse 16. I think. Can you pull that up? Sorry, I'm throwing a wrench at you guys. If I did this the same every service, it'd be easier, wouldn't it, guys? Sorry. All right. So yeah. How about verse 15? I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember exactly which one I'm looking for. Go back one more. Go back one more. Wrong one. Okay. So. Um, when all else fails, go to the Bible. Here we go. I'll find it. In this passage, it, 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 it says, um, here it is in verse 17. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. By the way, the confidence isn't just for the day of judgment. It is for every day. Even the day of judgment, even the day in which we stand before God and God goes, what did you do with the life I gave you? We can stand there confident, not because we've achieved a lot, not because we've measured up well, but because we have been forgiven and loved by God and lived in that love and walked in that love. It is a whole different opportunity, a whole different way to live. And yet we find ourselves running from place. So what if we just stop running around, try to project image, trying to make everybody think a certain way about us, and just stop and engage with truth. Because the truth is, we need, we need a Savior. In this passage in 1 John, it talks about Christ coming, and He is our Savior. So I had an interesting, recently I had this thing where um, I had a contractor come to my house and do some work, and, and, um, and he was supposed to be there on Monday and, and have some equipment delivered and stuff. And on Monday, um, uh, uh, nothing showed up, so I called him up, and he began immediately with the cover story, <laughs> right? Um, and he starts saying, um, well, you know, I had this, and I had this, and I had this, and I had this. I'm, okay, fine, so tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, I'll be I'll definitely, I will de- well, I don't know if I can make it tomorrow. So wait a minute, there's a three-day job, so we'll start on Monday and on Wednesday, I mean, so, we, you know, it's kind of what you told me. He said, I'll, say, oh, I'll try to make it Wednesday, and we'll just make it a two-day job. And we'll do it Wednesday, Thursday. We'll do it Wednesday. We'll, we'll, do, we'll definitely do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. He shows up on Wednesday. doesn't have the right equipment. He's got his guys there. They can't do the work. They kind of go home like half day because he didn't bring the right equipment. And he's just, I'm sorry. I just got this. I got this other thing. And I got this. And I got this. And, I, and, and I'm like, okay. Okay. Well, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Shows up. And finally, he's got the right equipment. Right, the guy, right guys. It was concrete. And it was going to come at a certain time. So the work had to be done. Had forms had to be set and do all this stuff. And he's just, he's just making excuses. The whole thing is a cover story. He's just one excuse after another. Some of them might have been true. I don't know, but um, he's just, he's just, uh, and I'm thinking this dude is about to have a heart attack on my property and there'll be paperwork and stuff. So, <laughs> so at one point he's just fidgeting, good, going crazy and telling me all the things going on. And he's got this, he's got that, he's got that. And finally, I, I just went like, I just met the guy. And I went like this, biff, and I hit him on the shoulder. He said, you mad? I said, no, I'm not mad, but you're about to have a heart attack on my property. Knock it off relax. The guys are here. You'll get it done. It'll be okay. You're not mad? No, I just want you to not have a heart attack. It'll be okay. And I just wanted to say to this guy, and by the way, he went on and just, he just, just did dumb stuff. He wrecked his truck in the process. And I just want to say to this guy, dude, just look at me in the eye and say, you know what? My schedule's out of control, and I don't have this working out right, and I'm sorry. I'm going to do my best to finish this up. You know what I would have said? great. We're here. We're going to get this done. I said that anyway. But if he had just owned up, at some point we've got to engage in the truth, don't we? Quit, well, i got to do this. i gotta, I got to make these people think this. i got to make this. i got to post this. And i got to take the kids here so everybody think I'm a great parent. And i got to do this. And i got to... God just wants to go, Biff! 
knock it off. You're not impressing me, and you're not impressing anybody else. Just admit you are a hot mess. Right? You're a mess. I'm a mess. Just before God, just say, God, I'm out of control right now. My attitude's awful. I'm not getting the affirmation I need to fill me up because it's impossible. I can't get that. Lord, can you just remind me who I am? Now here in verse 9 of 1 John 4, let's read this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. In verse 10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. The powerful thing about this is that we don't need friends. Friends are nice, but what we need most is not friends or even affirmation. It's a savior who can just come and forgive us and take our hot mess and say, you're forgiven. Now let's start building something new. Let's move forward from where we are right now. Let me read this passage for you. It's found in, uh, it's found in, um, sorry, in, where did it go? I lost it. Wow, I haven't lost this many notes in a long time. This must be an important message. Romans 8, 15 and 16. The spirit you received when you became a Christian, when you admitted the truth about yourself, accepted Christ, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. In other words, the Bible says you lived in fear until you came to be forgiven by the one who you were ultimately afraid of. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. What does that mean? That means that I don't evaluate myself by how I compare to you or anybody else. I don't evaluate myself by the standards that my culture sets. I don't evaluate myself by the voices I hear from my childhood that told me who I was supposed to, how I was supposed to act. I am already evaluated. You know what I am? I am a child of God. Everything else is just something else. It's something less. It's fairly unimportant because I am a child of God. I don't need you to like my posts. I don't make posts, but anyway, I don't need you to like them. I don't need you to follow me. I don't need this or the other thing. What I need is to know that I'm a child of God. And by the way, I need to be reminded of that about 10 times a day, right? So today, if you're here and your identity isn't first and foremost that you're a child of God, you're chasing the wind. And the reason I know that is I've chased the wind and everybody sitting around you has chased the wind. You're just wearing fig leaves. You're not getting there. The only way we get there is to say, Lord, here's the truth about me, but I'm your child and I know that you love me. Remember that narcissism thing? Why were they narcissists? Because they didn't get unconditional love. The Bible says that it is God's love. It is agape love that tells us who we are. Not the people around us, not our achievements, not our fig leaves, It is our God and his love for us. And if you are loved by God, you are somebody. You are important. And how you live that out is between you and the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, and it is a great adventure. I've seen too many people go down self-destructive paths, ruin their relationships, ruin their friendships, ruin their health, because they were trying to find something that doesn't exist. Affirmation, outside relationship with God. That's where it's at. That's why it matters. The band is going to come out. They're going to sing a song powerful song heard this song recently and i thought man we've got to sing that and here's what i know as you guys come on come on out while i'm talking um here's what i know for some of us here today this is another nice doyle talk a little encouraged a couple funny stories is great for some of us here today this could change your life 
Maybe it's family of origin issues. Maybe it's a false belief you've been carrying around. Maybe it's a subconscious belief that if you can just achieve enough, people are going to like you. And here's the really crazy part. I just had this sense yesterday as I was preparing this this week and then yesterday that there may be people in this room today who this moment right now, you can make a decision that is going to change your future, that you were thinking about yourself in such a way that you were contemplating some pretty self-destructive behaviors. But in this moment, I want you to hear this. You do not need to live in fear. You do not need to live in shame or isolation. You are loved by God and by us, and therefore you are valuable. You need to believe that. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you'll help us believe the truth. And the truth is that you loved us so much that you died for us. And that we are so valuable to you, not because of what we've done or how we look, but because we are your creation and we are your children. And if there's anyone in this room today who does not know you as their Heavenly Father, does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I pray in this moment they would understand the seriousness of what that means. And you begin to change how they see themselves because they change who they believe you are and they accept what you say about them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.